0: This is the Oasis Church Podcast. We're located in Athens, Ohio, and we use this podcast feed to primarily post the messages from our Sunday morning church gatherings. If you enjoy this message or if you'd like to know more about Oasis Church, please reach out to us at oasisathens at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We look forward to hearing from you, and we hope that you enjoy this message from Oasis Church in Athens, Ohio. We'll open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, if you would. If I were to give this this message, this series, um, this entire series a, a title, a theme, it would be this. It would be studying the man who is God, taking a, a careful look. And I like that magnifying glass up there because, because that's really what we're doing. We're gonna investigate. We're going to, to research and study and do exactly what Luke did. That's how, that, that is why Luke wrote his gospel. So Luke's gospel is about Jesus, which means he recounts many events and teachings of Jesus from eyewitnesses, from people that were with him, from people that interacted with him, people that experienced him. And Luke's goal was to look at this man, look into this man, investigate this man who claimed to be God, and then lay out his story for us. So that we might believe in him and so that generations of people might believe in him. And so what I'd like to do is just go directly into it. The book of Luke, the first four verses is where we're going to land today. This is Luke's introduction to his biography of Jesus. And this is where we'll spend all of our time this morning as we do a background study of this, of of, of a few things. We're going to do a background study of Luke the book. The book of Luke. We'll do a background study of Luke, the author, who he is as an author, Luke, the man, just who he was as a man. And then, uh, and then, and then the person he's writing to, because he's actually writing to somebody very specific as we will see when we read these verses. Verse one, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses And ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. So before we begin this enormous, massive, awesome study, let's pray. Father God, we begin today with just thanking you, thanking you that Jesus came, that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again, and that someone like Luke would faithfully go out and investigate this man that we know as God, and he would faithfully record the facts of exactly who Jesus is, what Jesus said, what he did, who he said it to, and and who, who he did things with so that we would know. And we know that he was inspired by the Holy Spirit the entire time and wrote these things down. And that's how these these scriptures, these words, this biography has made it to us. And I pray that that same Holy Spirit would come and take these scriptures which you have inspired to be written and that you would illuminate our understanding of them, that you would transform our lives, and you would do this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Well... Luke 1, 1 through 4 is one huge sentence. I don't know if you notice that. It's just one sentence. And so that's what we're going to spend all of our time today on, one sentence in this Gospel of Luke. So let me start by introducing you to the Gospel of Luke, all right? So what, what it is. And, and as I do this, I don't intend to um, insult anyone's intelligence or your knowledge of the Bible. I mean, I know that, that on any given Sunday, there might be people gathered together who are in a lot of different places. And some of you who have been in Christ a long time, maybe you've studied the Bible a long time, maybe you haven't been in Christ a long time, but you just really devoted yourself to studying and you know these things. And it seems a little elementary when I say some things, but I don't want to ever assume whenever we have a group of people that are gathered here and we have a group of people who are watching right now online that everyone is in the same place because we just know that that's not true. And so it's never a bad thing for us to relearn and rethink about some of those things that we already know. So just bear with me for a few minutes if you've been here, if you're like, oh, this is very elementary, because I don't think all of it will be elementary. I'm, think, I'm hoping that, that some of this today will, will cause you to go, huh, I didn't realize that, and uh, it will be, it'll be uh, kind of enlightening for you. So there are, in fact, four Gospels, and Luke is one of those. We know that the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those those four books, the first four books of our New Testament, they're called Gospels because they tell us the good news, which is the good news of Jesus, the Messiah who came to, to save his people. And each one of those Gospels is, is basically a biographical sketch of Jesus. It's a biography these men wrote about Jesus, all true, all emphasizing different aspects and facts of Jesus' person, his work, and his teaching. And the reason why they're different emphases is obviously because they're different perspectives. They're four different people. They didn't have the exact same experiences. Even if we did have the exact same experiences and we asked you to go and write a biography of, of the, or a, a, an account of, of what we experienced, your experience, your, what you write will include some different things than what I write, even if we walk side by side and experience the exact same things. Well, What I mean by that, and and there are also different perspectives in terms of who they're written to. For example, Matthew was writing uh, to those who were Jewish in background. Mark was writing to those who were were Romans. John to those who were Greek. And then Luke is writing to those who are Gentile. So basically, all of those people, everyone who was not privy to Jewish background of reading the scriptures, going to synagogue, going to the temple, and all those various customs that the Jewish people would have, would have undertaken. So basically, the Gospel of Luke was written to, I would guess, all of us. All of us Gentiles in the room. If you uh, are Jewish by background, uh, then it then, uh, doesn't mean that you can't read the Gospel of Luke, but maybe Matthew and, and, and uh, Matthew would be a little more, okay, yeah, this makes more sense to me because I remember studying these scriptures ever since I was a child. So they do tell the same story. They tell the same story of Jesus. And what we see in Luke's Gospel is that it is the longest of all the four Gospels. It is, in fact, 1,151 verses long. 568 of those verses are simply the words of Jesus. So if you have one of those Bibles that has the red letters in it, then, uh, then a good portion of, of Luke, about half of Luke, is, is just red because it's the words of Jesus. So if you want to know what Jesus said, just read Luke's gospel. Read it. I mean, roughly half of it, is, it which, and, and it's the longest one of all, is just quoting verbatim what Jesus said. People recounting, this is what Jesus said. So the next longest gospel is Matthew and then John and then Mark, Mark is the shortest. So to read Luke, and I do want, I'd like for you to read Luke. So here's our homework assignment every week and, you know, because we've got to read this on our own. So read Luke for yourself. To read Luke, I, I would say, would take the average person just silently reading about two hours. So like if you could carve out two hours, you could sit down and just read Luke in its entirety. That means practically speaking, if you take 15 to 20 minutes a day and you read, you could read Luke in its entirety every week. You could read it in a week. And so as we study this, as we go through this entire sermon series, you could potentially, if you take that challenge upon yourself, you could read the Gospel of Luke probably 50 times, because that's probably how long it's going to take us to get through the Gospel of Luke, to be really honest. And I want you to do that. I mean, uh, it's, look, it's good to have that kind of ambition, right? It's good to say, you know what, I'm going to do this, to set yourself that kind of goal, this short-term goal. Get yourself going, get on a plan, reading Luke at least once a week over the next year or so. Just get to know it, right? Make notes, journal, you know, write down, You know, g- grab a journal and take notes, and, and then compare those notes with what we talk about on Sundays, and just mark up your Bible if you'd like to do that, and just get to to know, just really get to know this gospel, get to know, be a friend of Luke's gospel. So that's the gospel of Luke. Now, that being said, let's talk about Luke, the author, who he was as an author. As we read his introductory words, you might notice he doesn't actually tell us his name, As you read the books of the New Testament, like if you were to flip through and look at the beginning of most of the books of the New Testament, you'll notice that the author usually tells us their name right at the very beginning. Like many of Paul's letters, he says, My name is Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and then he goes on and he writes his letter. Well, Luke doesn't do that. So how do we know? He doesn't say, "Hi, my name is Luke and, and I am a I'm follower of Jesus. And I'm writing you my letter." So how do we know that Luke wrote the book of Luke? Well, I'll give you a couple of reasons why we know Luke wrote the book of Luke. One is because both the Gospel of Luke and Acts are written by the same author. They're they're written by the same person. We know that Luke wrote Acts. So they're kind of a so really if you if you look at Luke and Acts, it's like the prequel and the sequel. Except Luke God, Luke's gospel is unlike a lot of Hollywood sequels It's actually pretty good <laughs> It's not crappy like Airplane 2, right? Airplane 2 is actually pretty decent But I don't know why I picked that one Out of all the sequels I could possibly pick Like Karate Kid, all of them I picked Rocky I mean, they're, they're all But Luke's sequel is really good, right? It's really good and, and they're both, really The gospel of Luke and the book of Acts Are both historical biographies Luke is telling the biography of Jesus, and Acts is telling us the biography of Jesus' people, the way the church began, the early church. And so both of these books are written by the same author, and they're also written to the same person. They're written specifically for a person, a man named Theophilus, and you find that in the opening of both books. As we read the first four uh, verses in Luke, you would find that also in the opening of Acts. The Greek in these in these, uh, uh, in these uh, letters are exactly the same. And the Greek recognizes it's showing a very educated and articulate man. And so whoever uh, wrote Luke also wrote Acts. They, 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 they are able to look at the, the way they're written and say, wow, this is the same person. And what we see in the book of Acts is that is that Luke is clearly the author of Acts and he's a traveling companion as he writes. You see that he's a traveling companion. He's a close friend and an associate to the apostle Paul. As you get into the book of Acts, the second, you know, the whole last half of the book of Acts is about those missionary journeys. And on occasions in Acts, he would say, we went here and we went there and we did this and we said that and we saw this. And so he's saying, look, I was there with Paul. And so he wrote Acts and the same person who wrote Acts wrote Luke and they worked together sort of as one big historical collection. And additionally, all of the early church fathers in the second and third centuries, like Justin Martyr and Irenaeus and Tertullian and Clement of Alexandria, and they all agreed and said that Luke wrote both Luke and and Acts, and so that's why it's obviously named Luke. And I believe that he wrote Luke, I I think that if you date this book, it would go back to about 62 AD, and the book of Acts is right around 63 AD, and so he wrote them subsequently to one another um, in, in that order. This is about 30 years or so. This, this book that we have that we're reading uh, of Luke is about 30 years or so after the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Um, some of the eyewitnesses then, people that were actually with Jesus, they're they're dead. Some of the eyewitnesses of those events are still of those events are still alive. But uh, they are, they're getting old and they're starting to die. And so the, the, the window, the historical window of opportunity of being able to interview these eyewitnesses because Luke himself was not one, that window is beginning to close. That testimony, their opportunity to grab their testimony is beginning to, to, to fade away one by one. And so Luke is taking this historically strategic opportunity to do an investigation, a really careful investigation of the fact of who Jesus is and what happened in the early church after Jesus ascended and he writes all those things down and when you take them together, Luke and Acts and you stack them on top of each other they actually provide the largest contribution to the New Testament these two books do If you've been through the New Testament, you know that there are probably 13 or 14 books or so that we say, well, the Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament. And and it's because he wrote a lot of shorter letters, right? And we don't know who wrote the the book of Hebrews. Some people say they think maybe Paul did. Others dispute that. So if if Paul did write the book of Hebrews, then okay, Paul is, is responsible for the majority of our New Testament. But if he did not, that means Luke is the primary contributor to all of our New Testament. He gives us more of the New Testament than anyone else. And he's very verbose. He, he uses a lot of words, okay? He has a lot to say. He takes his time. And I love that. I love the fact that this man Luke was really, really careful. And he doesn't just give us the short little cliffs notes, you know, you know, Jesus for dummies version. He gives us a lot of historical details. And so if you were to omit Luke from the New Testament, then you omit the largest contributor of the New Testament scriptures. If you would omit Luke and Acts, then we wouldn't have, you just imagine what we wouldn't have. So that being said, that's Luke the author. What about Luke the man? Let me tell you a little bit about Luke as a man, as a person. He's probably not a Jew. His name is not Jewish, Lucas Luke, which means he probably... He didn't grow up going to temple and Sabbath and keeping the synagogue and and reading the Old Testament scrolls and scriptures and and, and hearing from the rabbis and being someone who would be awaiting for the Messiah. He was he would have been a Gentile. Right. And and so he he has a non-Jewish background and heritage. And he didn't grow up going to any of these meetings. In, of God, he, he wasn't hanging around God's people. He wasn't. He wasn't part of. He wasn't religious, most likely. He grew up in some other sort of household, some other sort of upbringing that did that probably didn't include God much in what they did. And and he's he's mentioned in the New Testament uh, three times specifically. He's referred to in a really amazing way by the Apostle Paul. He's actually paid one of the highest compliments I think that a person can give. Because on one occasion, Paul says, Everybody's gone. He says, you know, everybody Paul Paul has, has been in prisons. Like everywhere Paul went, riots broke out. He got arrested. People tried to murder him. He'd go off to prison. And so eventually the fanfare around Paul just kind of ebbs and flows. People like to hear him, and then they're like, no, they turn on him. And so at one point in Paul's life, he says this. He says, everyone is gone. Everyone has abandoned me. I'm on my own except for Luke. So Luke was always there. Luke was, Luke, what what a great insight into the kind of person Luke was. I mean, everyone else gives up on Paul when the going gets tough. Luke's still there. Everyone went home, Luke's still there. Paul's going to prison, Luke's right along with him, or Luke's, Luke's at least touching base with him. Paul, how are you doing? And he's traveling with Paul and he's sticking around with Paul. And I just want to say this about this particular point because this will be really important. What I love about Luke is that he's humble, he's a servant, he's faithful, he doesn't even see the need to add his name at the beginning of his writing. And I want to tell you a little secret. There are two kinds of people I think that 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 who rise up in the world in the world of ministry throughout history and 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 you always see this. You see the person that God just calls. He puts his hand on someone, and he sets them up to do his work. And then there's always around that person someone or some bu- or, or multiple people who are trustworthy, humble servants who don't need the spotlight. They just assist that one who's doing the work of God. And I think Paul is, is one of those men who, you know, I mean, if you look at Paul, God just literally put his hand on Paul. Paul. He knocked him down on the road. Paul was against Christians. He was going out to murder Christians. We see this in the book of Acts. He's, and Jesus just comes down from heaven, blinds him, converts him, and tells him he's now going to preach the word. He's now going to go and convert people from like, like him to become Christians. To, to, he's, he's gonna start churches in different cities and different towns. That's Paul's conversion story and that's often how Jesus pursues and changes people, just does that. I mean, Paul didn't even like Christians, let alone pastoring to them and going out to, 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 to be a missionary for the, the, the work of Christ. He preferred murdering them, but he was chosen to go and preach to the people that he had hated about the love of Jesus and he was completely rearranged. And so Paul was one of those men that God just placed His hand on. He called, He equipped him, raised him up, and He sent him out. And then Luke was an, an assistant to him. Luke was like, you know what? I, I, I'm not going to fight with Paul, argue with Paul. I'm not going to use Paul to pad my resume. I'm not going to, you know, try to be Paul 2.0 or whatever. I'm, I'm going to. I'm not going to try to supersede Paul or be better than Paul or. I'm just going to serve Paul. I'm going to be with Paul. I'm going to go with Paul on these journeys. I'm going to make sure that I'm there to help Paul. I'm going to be his traveling companion. I'm going to be his researcher, his helper, his personal assistant, most likely his physician, because we know that Luke was a doctor. Let's talk about that for a second. We read in Colossians 4, verse 14, that Luke was a medical doctor. I just give you that so for reference, so you can look it up later. There seems to always be this lingering question, right? So yeah, Luke was a doctor. He was a, he was a, a medical doctor. Very learned, very educated man. And I, and I love this because there seems to always be this lingering question, like, what is the role of science and medicine in, in the Christian faith, right? I mean, well, you know, let Luke be a great example of the answer to this question, okay? Because sometimes you'll meet, and there no undoubtedly, you've probably met some goofy Christians who'll say things like, you know what? You don't need to go to the doctor. You don't have to have insurance. You don't need, you you know, all you gotta do is, is pray and have faith and trust God and he'll heal you. And then they'll go to places like the Gospel of Luke and they'll say, see, see Jesus healed people and so that's all we need. And they'll go to Acts and they'll say, see, the Holy Spirit does miracle and so you, miracles and so we don't need to recognize those you know, uh, 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 other, you know, there's other books that were written about you know, uh, by doctors and things like that. It's a really weird overs- oversight, I think, of the whole of, Christ- of, of Scripture. When Luke, as a doctor, was writing about the miracles of Christ and saying that Jesus would, would heal these people, Luke's point is that you don't no one ever needs a doctor. Luke was a doctor. Luke's point is that Jesus is the great physician. And sometimes he just miraculously decides to heal, and that's, mir- that's a mystery to us. That's, a, that's mysterious. While other times he will actually work through physicians and doctors. And so Luke was one of those men who studied medicine and science and was formally educated. So, when we talk about people in the scriptures, like the disciples of Christ, who they were unlearned men or fishermen, they're kind of just, you know, rural dummies, right? They didn't know anything. Luke was not one of those. Luke was actually a man of stature. Luke was a man who was formally educated. And so I would say, I just want to say that because, you know, as a church, as Oasis church, what we absolutely believe in this exact same thing, this is what you need to do as Christians, you know, love Jesus and be involved in the sciences and in medicine and in just general revelation and common grace and the mind that use the mind that God has given you to do good for all people. Don't just assume that, that it's, it's got to be one or the other. It's, it doesn't. And Luke's an example of that. How cool would it have been to have Luke as your doctor? I mean, think about it. He addresses your physical problem, and he prays for you. How many of you know, how many of you know doctors like that? How many of you have a doctor like that? Yeah. It's, gr- it's a great gift. Luke's a wonderful example for Christians, I think, who desire to be a doctor, who desire to work in the medical field. There, there, there are not enough people who have a doctor who would pray for you. And so if God is calling any of you to do that, then, then do it, do it. So what generally happens is, 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 is this, uh, think about this now. Uh, Because when when you consider that Luke was a doctor, I like to think about what his life might have been like, right? What his life might have been like preparing for that. What generally happens with doctors? Well, you know how it is. You go to medical school for about 20 years, rack up massive debt, probably about the size of some small countries. And then your goal is to finally graduate, go out and practice, get a really good job, pay all that off, and then live a really affluent life. And, And a lot of people have the opportunity to do that. Wouldn't have been any different that day. Luke had accomplished all of that. Luke had graduated, he had finished his studies, he was officially a physician. He was, we know that he was very educated, we know that he was very learned. Uh, Those scholars, by the way, when you look at commentaries about the gospel of Luke, those scholars who know Greek really well would look at the Greek that, that Luke used and they said that his Greek was impeccable. It's how they were able to compare Acts with the, with the Gospel of Luke and say it's the same person because it was impeccable. He was a great historian. He was an affluent writer. This is a really learned, educated man in a day when maybe only 10% of men, particularly in the rural areas, were educated at all. I mean, to, to, to be educated and literate was pretty uncommon To be educated at the level that Luke was educated was very uncommon, okay? But for a time, what did Luke do? He walked away from a lot of his private practice of medicine to travel with Paul, to do investigative research, to write these books of the Bible that he wrote. And so he used his education, he used his intellect for the cause of Jesus, and that's where I would just encourage all of us, right? I mean, how are you using, or how are you going to use your education to, to be a good servant of Jesus? You wanna be a doctor? Great, praise God. Find a way to serve others and then use that for the cause of Christ. If God's given you a great mind to academically be just tremendous, then you're if you're intellectually gifted, praise God and use that for the cause of Christ. Luke is a great example for all those people who want to pursue a high education. Luke is a great example of that. So, let's let's consider an an ancient biographical sketch of Luke. Since we don't know a lot about Luke in the scriptures, only a couple things have been mentioned about him like I just mentioned with Paul. We do know some historical um, writings about Luke. Uh, there There was a commentator that came around about 100 years or so after Luke. And he, he did some research on him, and he wrote some things about Luke. And I want to quote some things about that because Luke doesn't talk a lot about himself. And I think that's actually great. That's actually a pretty good point. Luke didn't write three books of the Bible, one about Jesus, one about the church, and one about himself. That's, I mean, he just wrote one about Jesus and one about the church, and then he was done. It's not like Luke was a man that he didn't mention at all. He didn't mention himself in the opening verses of his of his book. Uh, I, You know, I don't know that—I mean, that's—think about that. Think about how amazing that is in, te- in today's world, in 2020. Can any of us do that? Like, I mean, actually— Go a week without posting anything on social media, right? We love, it's hard. It's, we we want we want people to notice us. We want people to notice what we're doing, what we're what we're what's, what we're involved in, what our what our families, what what, are what we're eating for dinner tonight, things like that, right? We want to. And Luke was like, I don't see Luke as really caring about whether people knew about him at all, and so we don't really know a lot about him from the scriptures, at least from 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 what we have in our Bible. But there is a, a a fragment of information that's out there. Like I said, it came about 100 years or so after Luke. It's an ancient commentary on Luke. And I'll just share that with you. It's, it's, it's not scripture, but it gives us some of the only information that we have about the details regarding this man, Luke. And it says this. Indeed, Luke was an Antiochian Syrian, Syrian, which means he lived in Antioch. That was the town he was from, which that's actually mentioned in the book of Acts. A doctor by profession, so a medical doctor, a disciple of the apostles. So it was, it was discovered that Luke was, uh, he was not one of the eyewitnesses, he was not one of the, the apostles, but he was trained by those who were eyewitnesses. So he was a disciple of the disciples. He, he knew Peter and James and Jude, so he actually got to talk to those guys. The ones who followed Jesus, Peter and James and Jude and John and Matthew, and he knew Paul very well, as we know. And so he was he was not a direct follower of Jesus, but he was a follower of the followers of Jesus. And so he was a convert to Christianity, most likely later in his life, in his adulthood, sometime after Jesus' disciples had started preaching and telling the good news about Christ and what he had done in their lives and what they had seen. And, and so... Uh, it says this. Later, however, he followed Paul until his martyrdom. So isn't that, I I think that's just a really great thing to think about. I mean, because Paul, I would say Paul would consider Luke a good friend. I mean, how many friends do you have that you're, that are literally devoted to you until you die your whole life? I mean, how many friends did you think you have, but now they're gone? There's, we have a lot of those probably. Luke was a devoted, faithful friend to Paul, all the way until the time Paul was dead. And I think that tells us a lot about this man, Luke. And I'm sure after he wrote his books of the Bible, you know, there's probably a good chance that once these books got out, that Luke probably became a little well-known and more, respected, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's, we know that guy. I mean, if he's writing this stuff, then yeah. And he probably could have gone on and done some pretty awesome things, and Develop some fame on his own, but he didn't. He just stayed loyal to Paul all the way until Paul's death. And it says this: he served the Lord blamelessly. May God say that of all of us. It says he never had a wife. Now, if that's true, that's a major sacrifice, in my opinion. I mean, I love having a wife with all my heart. Luke, Luke, uh, to not have a wife in my mind means that he he refused that the blessing of, of, of the awesome blessing of a family. Perhaps for the ministry that he chose, because we know that he went with Paul, and Paul was the same way. Paul didn't have a wife, traveling and serving and all that for the cause of Jesus. Says he never, he never, he never fathered children, so he never got to be a dad. One of the greatest things I've ever had the privilege to be as a dad. Children are an incredible blessing. Being a parent is a great honor. And Luke, I would say, was someone who just he forwent that. The you know the the the. Uh, he, 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 for, he forwent the idea of having, having children and having a family. And so he had a medical practice. He had regular income. He had, uh, he had the opportunity to be someone you know, with a family. And he, he, he decided to, to go and travel with Paul. He decided to, to put that aside. He decided to be a pastor. He decided to, 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 to forego all of that. And we don't know all the reasons why, but there's a good chance that a lot of the reasons why was because of what we hold in our hands is the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. He traveled around for many years gathering this information so that he could give it to his friend, the, you know, the great Theophilus, and then it came to us. And I love this, uh, it just it just says this at the end. And he died at the age of 84. And that's actually a pretty long time in that day especially. It's probably twice the the average man's life expectancy in that day. And I especially love what it says about him at the end of his life here. He died at the age of 84, full of the Holy Spirit. What a great line. That I, I mean, I, I pray that God would allow all of us to live in such a way that after we're gone, that's what, that's what kind of commentary is written about you. They served the Lord blamelessly and they died at a good old age, full of the Holy Spirit. And, and we know that Luke is, is a man who loves the Holy Spirit. I mean, he talks about the Holy Spirit in his book all the time. And, and, and in fact, some people actually have called, some commentators have actually called the Gospel of Luke the Gospel of the Holy Spirit. And some have actually called the Book of Acts, uh, you know, some call it the, the, the Book of the Acts of the Apostles. Some, some commentators call it the Book of Acts of the Holy Spirit, what the holy spirit is in, because luke is really showing us who god is in spirit as after jesus left in person because he would leave his spirit with with those who believe in him and then he would work and do things and speak through them and so we see that i mean you see that i mean we you'll see that in, in luke's gospel when jesus is baptized the holy spirit descends on him luke talks about that and he empowers Jesus and enables him for a life of ministry. And you see it later in the book of Acts, when you read the book of Acts, how the Holy Spirit descends on the early church and empowers the church, and enables the church to do the work of Jesus and his ministry. And you see that the Holy Spirit is the one who's working out all of history for the purpose of Jesus and the church. And so I think it's really fitting for this biographical sketch of Luke, the way it ends would be that he died a man full of the Holy Spirit. And my hope and my goal and my prayer that as we're together in worship and in prayer and in study of the scripture here, that that is that God would fill us all individually and also collectively as a body of people with the Holy Spirit and empower us and enable us to go out from here and do the work of Jesus and his ministry the same way Luke was. And now all of that being said, we can't forget about the man that it was written to Theophilus. Who in the world is that guy, right? Who's Theophilus? So back to the text. We talked about Luke the author. We talked about Luke the man. Luke, you know, a little bit of a biographical sketch of Luke. Who is receiving this book? If Luke's writing a book, who's he, who's, who's he writing it to? Well, if you look at the verse near the end of verse 3, most excellent Theophilus. I want to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus. This is the recipient of actually both the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts. So let me tell you a little bit about Theophilus. First of all, don't you think that it's just awesome, wonderful, that the longest book in the New Testament is written to one person. Think about that. I mean, does God love the whole world? Yeah. Does God love the nations? Yeah, we know. He, he, his, his word says he does. Does God love all of our cities and our counties? Yeah. Does God love individuals? Yeah. He loves individuals so much that he would go to great lengths to actually have one entire book of the Bible written to one person, Theophilus. And I think that's an awesome testimony of how, what kind of links God goes to, to make sure that you know him. He gives Theophilus some time. I mean, two really big, two of the biggest books that we have in our New Testament, actually, Now, who is Theophilus? I think he's probably a government official. Why? Because he's called the most excellent Theophilus. And it's actually a title It's given, it's a stately title. It's a a way that you would speak of someone in government office. And so at the the end of the book of Acts, you see him again saying most excellent. He's referring to uh, that that, that title as well. That word most excellent is not being talked about Theophilus there, but most excellent at the end of the book of Acts is being spoken about, about, about a Roman governor. And so there's a good chance that there was a, that this was an official, a government official position that Theophilus was in. And that's why Luke refers to him as most excellent Theophilus. Maybe he was a political leader of some sort. And so that indicates us that this man who's receiving the, the gospel of Luke is probably in a high position in the government authority, and he, he, which means he would be wealthy, he would be educated, and he would be part of the Roman government. Theophilus would then also be a Gentile, just as Luke is, the name Theo. Theophilus, Theo, is not a Jewish name either. It's a Gentile name, which means he also didn't grow up reading the scriptures. He, he didn't grow up praying and worshiping with God's people. And here is what Theophilus's name means. Have you ever looked that up? Theophilus means this. Are you, are you named Theo? Nobody here's named Theo. Children, kids, grandkids, uncles, aunts. All right. Theo means this. One who loves God. Lover of God. And so Luke is writing to Theophilus, meaning of his name, and name meaning of names back then was a pretty big deal. One who loves God. And so I I think that Theophilus, being the original intended recipient of this book, is someone who loves God. So I want you to to have this book. But I think, secondly, think about this. Secondly, of course, the book of Luke, because we have it as part of our canon of scripture, the, the, the whole Purpose for the book of Luke is for anyone else who loves God. In fact, Ambrose, a fourth century church father, says it this way So the Gospel of Luke was written to Theophilus, that is, to him who loves God. And if you love God, it was written to you. So this book is for him and all of us who love God. And it goes out in an effort to encourage others to love God as well. So the whole idea of the book of Luke is we want others to love God. And so we know that Theophilus, there's a good chance because of the way it's written and the way Luke describes why he wrote at the beginning, there's a good chance that he was probably a new convert to Christianity. He's wealthy, he's prominent, he's affluent, he's a significant man who becomes a Christian. And here's what Theophilus is probably wondering. Is this really true? Are these things true? I mean, is Jesus really God? Did he do what I've heard that he's done? Did he walk on water? I mean, did did, did, he, did that really happen? Did he cast out demons? Did he multiply fishes and loaves? Did he command nature to obey him? And it did. Did he die? Did he rise again after death? Did he really say that he was God? Can he really forgive sin? Is he really God who became a man to reconcile us back to God? Is this all true or not? You see, Theophilus has a lot to lose publicly by declaring himself to be a Christian. Because in that day, Caesar was Lord. And most excellent Theophilus, working in the house of Caesar, working in the government, would have to declare that Caesar was Lord. But if Theophilus became a Christian, not anymore. It would be Jesus as Lord. And in that day, he would be pressed as a Roman official to have his highest allegiance be to his nation. But upon meeting Jesus, he would have to say, no, my highest allegiance is to Jesus's kingdom. And as a governor, he would have to say, all religions in our nation are welcome. The worship of all gods is equal. But as a Christian, he would have to say, no, Jesus says he alone is the way to God, and he alone is our savior. And so all this is stuff that would get Theophilus in a lot of trouble with his boss. Caesar. <laughs> it would get him fired. It would get him in lots of legal trouble, maybe even imprisoned. It would cost him his income. It would cost him his prominence. It would cost him his position in the, in the, in the authority of, the, of the, the, the government. And so here's a man, Theophilus, who's wrestling with his faith, right? Do I really believe in Jesus? Do I love Jesus? Do I belong to Jesus? Am I willing to go public for this? Am I willing to be outspoken about my newfound faith in Christ? Am I going to share my testimony with someone when they ask me about what it is that's different in my life? And there's a lot at stake here for Theophilus. And so what does Theophilus do? He contracts out Luke. He finds this other smart guy, Luke, to go out and study and investigate this man who claims to be God, this man that I want to believe in. And he says, "Luke, I need you to go out and find the truth. I need you to go out and get the facts. I need you to go out and find out exactly what happened around this man Jesus. Talk to as many people as you can who interacted with him. Bring me a full report." And here's what's amazing. I mean, I mean, think about this. This would have been really expensive. I mean, this is a classic ancient way that someone in in that day uh, would have who would have been funded for a project like this they would acknowledge their benefactor, right? They would, they, would, they would dedicate this book to the person that funded them. They would dedicate their, whatever it was, their theatrical work, if they were doing some kind of theater or writing a play, or if they were doing poetry or writing a book, they would, they would dedicate it to their donor. They would acknowledge him. And that's what this is. That's what verse three and four is, that he's acknowledging Theophilus here, that you're the one that funded my work here as I went out and I researched this. And so here's what you're supposed to understand. Theophilus paid for two books of the Bible to get written. And in doing so, he would have provided the opportunity for Luke to take some years off of work. I'm sure Luke probably kicked in some of his own money as well. But Luke would go out and he would do all of this eyewitness investigation on Jesus. Now think about this. 2,000 years later, right now. Had it not been for Theophilus' generosity, we would be lacking the largest contributions to the entire New Testament. You just never know what your contribution is going to accomplish in the kingdom of God. You just never know. So let's close with a word about uh, Luke's investigation. All right? When I say close, I'm probably looking at in about 10 more minutes. All right, cool? <laughs> What is Luke investigating? Like, what, what, is, he, what is he looking for, right? What is he, what's he studying? What's he, what's he uh, out there? I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a cool way to think about you know, what's happening here. These are important questions because they're, they're exactly, to be real, realistic, they're exactly what we're going to be doing here for the next several weeks. We're going to be investigating, studying this, this man. We're going to be investigating the work that Luke did investigating Jesus. And he says this. He says the things that have been accomplished among us, right? In verse 1, the very first verse. He says that that's what he's looking for, the things that have been accomplished among us. So see Theophilus, Theophilus is wondering, okay, did a virgin have a baby? I mean, did, we got to check that out. Luke, you got to check that out. You got you got to go talk to people who were there. We got to double check that, right? That's an unusual fact. Did Jesus walk on water? I mean, we're hearing that he walked on water. Did he really do that? I mean, did he really take a little boy's lunch and feed an entire stadium of people with that lunch? I mean, is that, is that something that really did, he, did he really, did that really happen? Did he actually speak to nature and the wind stopped blowing? The storm stopped? I mean, did, that, did he really cast demons out of people? You got to go find those people. I mean, did all, that, did, did all that really happen? I mean, did he really die on a cross at Calvary? If so, go find people who were there who saw it and have them tell the story. Did he come back? Seriously? I mean, no one comes back after death. Did he seriously do that? I mean, so you know, we hear that 500 or so people saw him, so go find some of those people. It shouldn't be that hard to find, Luke. We've got to check all these facts. And that's what it is. It's a checking of facts, And the reason I say that is because Christianity is not a philosophical system. It's a historical reality. Every religion in this world is a philosophical system that has very little, if any at all, historical reality behind it. And Luke and Theophilus gives us a work, Theophilus funds a work to say, look, I want to make sure that this is historical reality. That people for ages know that this is historical reality. It is all built on this man, Jesus, who is God. It's built on this Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And so, what he says is Theophilus is like, look, we've got to find out exactly what happened. It's all fact, it's fact, it's carefully investigated. And I know we probably all know people who say, you know, well, I don't believe the Bible's true. I mean, that's it's, it's an old fiction book, right? Well, okay, what grounds? I, I mean, it's real easy to say that, right? But what, on what grounds do you say that you, don't, <laughs> that you don't believe it's true, right? Well, I went to college. Oh, wow, great, that's nice. I mean, you've learned a lot of philosophical ideas on how to disregard the entire New Testament and play, you know, play beer pong and all that, right? It's just amazing sometimes how it's perceived, I think. It it amazes me how Christianity is perceived to be like for simpletons. And like once you become educated, you don't, like you wouldn't believe in that anymore because you're beyond all that unsophisticated naivete, which is what Christianity is. Listen, Luke is very well educated. Better than nearly, if not all of us. There's a good chance that Luke was much more educated than any single person in this room or anyone watching here. His intellect and his IQ are really high. And so he's not naturally predisposed to believe things, especially things that sound really far out. He's a medical doctor, a scientist. He studies facts. He deals with facts. He investigates facts. His whole life worked is built around science and facts. And his Jesus project is funded by a Roman governor. And so if he gets it wrong, he's in serious trouble. So he's only looking for truth. That's all Luke's looking for. He's not looking for anything, any weird stuff. He wants truth. And if you follow the truth, wherever it leads, you'll end up with Jesus. And he tells us how he collects this data. He says that he, he himself was not an eyewitness. We know that. He wasn't there for Jesus's life. He wasn't there for Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, like you. You weren't either. I wasn't. Yeah, you know, and, and we all hear from people, right? Well, you know, the, people, some people just aren't as objective as I am, right? I'm, you just got to be objective here. Well, listen, Luke, Luke was objective. <laughs> I would say of all, I would say in that day, Luke was a very objective man. He was not predisposed to believe in Jesus. He was converted later in life. He was very well educated, very articulate, and he says that he gained his information about Jesus that came together as this gospel in from three different sources. He says many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, okay? So people have many people have undertaken this, this job of compiling a narrative, right? So that's written, that's written documents. That a lot of people would write things down in that day. That's one way. So he would, he would search out those written documents. I want to read everything I can that people have written about, about things that took place. And it says, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, so that's a second way. He's going to talk to eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. So this, this idea of ministers of the word delivering things to us, that's oral tradition. And these are the main ways that information would have been, would have been given and, and, and passed down in that day. You have, and it's, so this is a massive amount of work. I mean, written documents, oral tradition, and eyewitnesses. So the oral tradition, many in that day, for example, and the reason why you would have oral tradition, it doesn't seem to be as important to us, but it was really important then. And the reason why is because many people were illiterate, especially in rural areas where, where you just didn't learn to read. About 5 to 10% of men in rural areas in that day were literate. And most of the women, unfortunately, were illiterate. And so things were passed on to people and carried on through oral tradition. And someone would be designated as the leader, the minister of this word, the minister of the oral tradition, and it was a pretty serious position. They'd be sort of the curator, right, like a, a curator of a, of a museum of facts, And they would place that person in charge of the facts, in charge of the data. They were the historian. They were the educator. And it was their job to make sure that we keep the story straight as we pass it on to people. And so Luke would go and he would interview those who were the keepers of these particular stories about Jesus' ministry that were given through oral tradition. He wanted to to make sure he talked to those people. That's one of the ways he gathered his information. Secondly, he says he... he, uh, goes to things that were written down, other other narratives that were written down. So by this point, Matthew's gospel has already been written. Mark's gospel has already been written. Paul had already written some of his letters in the New Testament that are ascribed to Paul, and there are probably others also who had someone transcribe or write something down that they experienced, right? Their testimony. Like for example, someone might say, "Hey, Jesus healed me." Well, we need to get that written down. Tell us what happened, and they would write it. They would, they would tell them, and someone who could write would write it down. Jesus cast a demon out of me. Well, tell us about it, so we can write this down. I saw Jesus after he. Wrote from death. Tell us about it so we can write it down. So there's all kinds of written documents that Luke would have gone to, including Matthew, Mark, and some of Paul's letters as well, but probably some of these other written testimonies that took place in that day as well. And then the third way was eyewitness accounts. So Luke compiles all of this, and he looks it over, and he goes and he meets with the eyewitnesses. And you have to understand that he's going to these eyewitnesses, these people who have been with Jesus, like Peter, right? Peter, you were there. What was it like? Just tell me. I mean, here's what I've got from some of this data that I've collected. Can you corroborate that? And he heard from Peter. He's probably going to Jesus' brothers, James and Jude. And I would imagine he would ask them something like, Hey, Jesus claimed he never sinned. You were there when he was a teenager. <laughs> Is that true? If anyone would know, you would know, right? He probably went to Mary. I mean, if Mary was still alive, Mary would have been really old at, at this time. Could you picture in your mind maybe a meeting with Mary? Sitting down interviewing Mary? Mary, tell tell me what it was like. There's a really good chance that he met with Mary because he has a really detailed account of, of what happened from Mary. Tell me what it was like when, when the angel showed up and you were a junior high age kid. And the angel said that you are as a virgin, going to give birth to God. What was that like? Right? I mean, was your first reaction, Mary, really a song? Or did you kind of freak out? I mean, you know, we, we hear that your first reaction was to write a song. you sang, Or did you kind of freak out at first? What was Joseph's first reaction? Right? Tell me how that went down. I'd like, maybe I won't record all of this, Mary, but I'd like to hear it, right? You know, hey, I'm your pregnant virgin girlfriend. <laughs> Seriously, what was it like? Tell me what it was like. Like, when you, were, when you were bathing Jesus and changing his diaper, did it seem weird that he was God? I mean, how was that for you, Mary? I mean, he, he, maybe Luke hears from someone else that Jesus cast a demon out of a, out of a woman, and, and, and he's like, I gotta go find that woman. Tell me your story. Can, can anyone corroborate your story? I mean, you say this happened, but I, I'd like to know. Like, I want people who saw you before and people who saw you after. I'd like to meet your physician, did your physician diagnose you? I mean, you know, and, and if someone says, oh, I, 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 that, this person was healed by Jesus, so let me go, let me go and talk to people who, who saw him, and I want to talk to that person too, is there, I want to make sure there's corroborating evidence for this, I want to meet that guy's doctor, I'm a doctor, I understand how important this is, I want to check the medical records, I want to double check all these healings that are ascribed to Jesus to make sure that they're actually facts, that they actually took place. I mean, this is years of massive amounts of, of money poured into this, this project, going from town to town, talking from people to people, eyewitnesses, all kinds of accounts. That's what Luke did, right? I mean, uh, here's their shepherd. There were shepherds in a field, right? They're shepherds. I, I need to go speak with those shepherds. I got to go find them. And he's doing this investigation at a really historically significant moment. When the window of opportunity is starting to close from all those eyewitnesses about 30 years later after Jesus had returned to heaven, and so these eyewitnesses are starting to die, and if he doesn't capture this information, then it could be gone forever. Isn't that amazing? That's why I get frustrated when people say, I don't believe it. I mean, really, I mean, just just sort of flippantly, I don't know how you can just flippantly, without doing your own investigation like Luke, just flippantly say, I won't believe, I mean, we'll believe anything someone writes on Twitter or Facebook, won't we? But a man who actually spent years of his life going from Nazareth and Capernaum and Bethlehem and the Sea of Galilee and interviewing hundreds of people who actually were there, who were actually recipients of His healing and his teaching. They were there for his death. And they saw him after he rose from death. They heard him teach after he rose from death. This is not just some conspiracy theory. Be really careful with this. Be really careful with this. You should not ever, in just a cavalier way, dismiss Jesus. You gotta do a little homework, just like Luke did. At least follow the truth to wherever it leads. The famed archaeologist William Ramsey says this about Luke. He says, Luke is a historian of first rank. This author should be placed among the greatest of historians. Isn't that amazing that an archaeologist would say that about an author of the Bible? Yeah. And what Luke says is, yeah, you know what? Some, people have, some other people, people have written some things down, like Matthew and Mark and maybe some other works you know, that are non-scriptural works, works that we don't have in our Bible. You know, They're were, they were maybe imperfect, and, but somewhat helpful narratives about their experience with Jesus. And Luke says, it seems good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to also just give my own orderly account. So his account is very orderly. He says, I've been investigating Jesus for a lot of years, I've been studying for a lot of years. And maybe that's where some of you are. Maybe some of you have studied and investigated Jesus for years. And the more you do, the more you love him. And that's why we're going to dig into this really careful investigation of this man who was God. Because just like Luke, we want to have certainty, he says to Theophilus. I want you to have certainty about who Jesus is, and about what Jesus has done. And we want to have that same kind of certainty about Jesus that Luke was hoping to give Theophilus, that he's God and that he's Savior. And perhaps we'd be like Theophilus as well, a lover of God who contributes to the kingdom of God so that others would come to know Jesus. Why don't we pray, and then we'll respond worship. Father God, I just I want to pray for all of my friends in this room and all of my friends who are joining us online this morning. And I pray that that we would all pick up the Gospel of Luke. And I pray that we would adore and honor and cherish this gospel. Um, We don't want to worship Luke, but we thank you for Luke. And just like Theophilus, we don't want to worship Theophilus, but we thank you for him. I know we spent a lot of time talking about those two men today, but we're thankful for them. And I pray that they'd be an example for us. That we would also consider every day, just continually, day by day, just pick up the gospel of Luke and investigate in the same way Luke did. May we study like Luke. May we be people who are like Luke, who, who desire to study and seek and find out for ourselves exactly what Jesus did. I pray for people that maybe don't read their Bible much. Maybe they assume they know all the facts and maybe they've been Christians for a long time and the story's just gotten old. I pray that with this study, Lord, that they would read afresh with, with a renewed vigor and that they would have a a passion, a desire, a passionate desire to investigate this, this man who is God. And that they would do like Luke did and just really dig deep. Because there's so much more that we could always learn about Jesus. None of us have ever learned everything there is to learn about Jesus. And so, God, I thank you so much that I actually get to teach this gospel, I get to teach the Bible. And I thank you that there are people who want to to learn and grow and know Jesus better, as I am also one of those. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.